In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I am Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here, and on our College of Preachers team, we have been in this ordinary time uh, speaking about the scriptures from the book of James, and we'll continue that today. James says, where there is selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of justice is sown in peace by those who make peace. James understands that peace doesn't just happen. We can't avoid something and find peace. Peace isn't accidental or magical or random. Peace is made like a quilt or a pie or like ends meet. Peace is hard work. Peace takes real talk and courage and perseverance. Peace will kick the hell out of you. James says. Jesus invites us today into the hard work of making peace together. Polarization, although present, isn't the problem. Injustice is. We make peace in these polarizing times by naming the injustice among us, owning our desires, and submitting them to Christ together. This is how we resist the devil and do the Lord's work of making peace together. Today in our gospel reading, Jesus catches his disciples in a little polarization. They're arguing over who's the greatest. And James would describe them as having selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in their heart. <clears throat> Jesus rebukes them by modeling what true greatness is by holding a baby, the lowest in status, not worth anybody's time, no rights, no power, and saying that the way you treat a baby is how you treat God. James, likewise, is writing to a group of people who are polarized. There's divisions and factions, rivalries. He says, this is why you murder. This is why you covet selfish ambition, jealous people vying for position and authority. We also are living in polarizing times, are we not? Kind of an earthquake of sorts in Western culture right now. There's conversations about race, conversations we've had for years, and white Christians in particular are as divided as ever over it. We could say polarized. Right now, there are meetings happening in my county, Hamilton County, about um, the dangers and evil of CRT and such. There's conversations about politics. White Christians are as divided as ever. Some may say polarized. Some Christians speak of militaristic violence to take the country back and gain power and, and rescue stolen elections and, and, and even, even break into the Capitol building. 
with zip ties and guns. And some are so tired of all that that they want nothing to do with any political conversation. Polarized. There's polarization around COVID, believe it or not. The virus doesn't care whether you're red, blue, or purple, but we seem to think it does. You know that this week we will break the death toll of the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919 this week. Do you know that there's more deaths from COVID in Florida than there were American deaths in the Vietnam War? We are polarized around this. Masks. I see those masks. But masks have become a battleground, right? Polarizing. Um, Even empathy, friends, their (laughs) empathy, meaning the ability to feel with someone, to indwell what they're experiencing to the best of your ability, and to appreciate and acknowledge it, yeah? If somebody's crying, you you cry with them. If somebody's laughing, you laugh with them. Um, There are articles and religious leaders who are telling us that empathy is sinful. In fact, um, and this is tied up with sort of CRT stuff. In, in my kids' school, there's something called social and emotional learning where they have these little groups where they come together and they actually talk about how they're feeling together and how to connect with other people and how to listen to people and things like this. And um, this is part of polarization because that's wrong. And finally, there's, uh, we've talked about this before, there's church abuses and sexual abuses in the church, and um, certain religious leaders are calling people who say they've survived abuse, calling them a mob, that the survivors of abuse are actually the problem because they won't stop talking about it. They are so polarizing. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? (laughs) Remember back in the 80s, it was just like contemporary music versus traditional? (laughs) Or whether or not you had pews or chairs, like the the good old days of being polarized. But now it's ramped up a bit. And into this situation that we find ourselves in, the good news is that James is dealing with very similar issues, and he says, lo and behold, polarization isn't the problem. He says injustice and wickedness is the problem. James names wickedness for what it is and speaks truth about it and calls people into the hard work of making peace. Today, Jesus invites us into that same work, the hard work of making peace together. Because polarization isn't the problem, injustice is. (laughs) And we make peace by naming injustice owning our desires, and submitting them to Christ together. This is how we resist the devil here. This is how we do the hard work of making peace. So James then talks about uh, one of the problems that leads to injustice and polarization, which is this preference for ungodly wisdom, for something that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's about, real quick, I don't have time to go into all this, but James is writing to a people who, who are dealing with partiality based upon status and wealth. 
Rich people and merchants are taking advantage and exploiting people, dragging them into court, he says. But the, but the Christians that James was writing to are mostly poor people, and he says, you guys are still treating them like they're the best people among you, when really they're dealing in demonic things. They're, they have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. They want to be teachers. They want to have the authority like Deacon Nancy said last week. And so James just names it for what it is. James doesn't think it's divisive to name injustice. James thinks it's righteous to do so. Just as James doesn't say, I don't, look, this rich and poor stuff, I don't see rich or poor, I just see people. Notice he doesn't say that in this letter. So too, we don't say, I don't see color, I don't see abuse or power. No, we say we see power, we see how it's carried, and we see when injustice is being done by those who are powerful. If we don't name injustice, we can't make peace. Naming, for instance, that wealthy people are hurting poor people for James isn't divisive. So naming injustice today, friends, it's not divisive. So, I mean, the, I just want to say, masks aren't dividing us. Masks don't care whether we're unified or not. A virus doesn't care whether we're unified or not. It just wants to kill people. <laughs> but those who decide that masks or a virus are an opportunity for them to gain power, they may be dividing us. Church abuse survivors who tell their story, they're not being divisive. Those who want to silence them or cover up or coddle abuse or enable abuse because it'll make us look bad or we'll lose our standing or we'll lose our status, they may be the ones who are being divisive. So the hard work of making peace then involves naming injustice for what it is and how selfish ambition and bitter jealousy are used by arrogant, boastful, proud, powerful people to create disorder, stirring up fear and anger that you have to be scared about somebody else, and then consolidating that power at the expense of the powerless. The hard work of peace, first of all, just tells the truth about that. Today, we proclaim the good news that Jesus invites us into this hard work of making peace. Polarization isn't the problem. Injustice is, James says. We make peace in these polarizing times by naming it for what it is, injustice. This is wrong. Owning our desires in the midst of that and submitting them to one another and to Christ, this is how we resist the devil together. This is how we do the hard work of making peace. So Paul, um, Paul, James, uh, Paul does this too, actually, but that's a longer sermon. James holds up uh, in, in opposition to this ungodly, earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom that's boastful and arrogant and proud, that seeking, the cra- like satisfying these cravings for things in my body. He talks about godly wisdom. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's pure. Peaceable. Gentle, willing to yield, ready to submit, open 
to being changed, full of mercy and good, virtuous action, impartial, genuine, sincere, no hypocrisy. One of the dangers, friends, um, of preaching regularly and doing things like writing for a living and talking to people for a living is that um, you get really good at using your mouth to convince people that you're more wise than you are. Maybe you don't struggle with this, but some of us named Matt Tebby do in this room. This is one of the reasons why we have a college of preachers here. It's not like Ben and I and Spencer don't have time to preach every week. We do. But we have a culture that has elevated smooth-talking, rhetorically gifted, eloquent men to a pinnacle and a place of power and prestige. And it usually doesn't go well. First of all, me and other men who've been elevated like that, we, we can't bear that kind of celebrity. We weren't created for that. This is Christ's church, not mine. Uh, secondly, we get so impressed by oh, this, this, these wonderful words or this intelligence, or you're so confident, and I, I, can, I can latch on to you and be confident too, and you seem like you're so certain about this. But what happens is, friends, is that the human heart, the human soul was never meant to be put on a pedestal to be to be the center of a community because uh, this is Christ's church, not mine or Ben's or Spencer's. So what gets honored here then is humility and gentleness, being the first one who wants to repent. Spencer's not here today. I'll be doing three parts of the liturgy that we usually split up, but Spencer is not in this room today. He's, he's watching our little kids in the nursery. Ben and Spencer and I and Deacon Nancy, we will do this regularly, not because we don't have nursery workers, although if you are interested in working in the nursery, come down. <laughs> but because we believe that actually being with children as the person who has the most honor is vital to embody godly wisdom. I'm, if we think we're too important for kids, there's something earthly and unspiritual at work. The good life, humble virtue, meekness, gentleness, being the first person who will agree to change. That's, that's what makes one wise. Jesus invites us into the hard work of making peace. Polarization isn't our problem. Injustice is our problem. Wickedness. And we make peace today. Calling injustice what it is, unjust, unjust. Owning our desires, our own desires, and submitting them together with Christ to one another. This is how we resist the devil together, and this is how we do the hard work of making peace. James talks about uh, why there's so many factions and divisions. He talks about the cravings in our bodies wanting and not asking and just trying to get it. And there's murdering happening and there's all other kinds of stuff happening. Friends, this is the reason why our, the center of our community, before we started meeting for Eucharist as an Anglican church, we spent a year doing discipleship that focused and centered on owning and reckoning with our desires with each other. 
The cost of not doing that is uh, James chapter 4. All hell breaking loose. And so then we in humility and meekness, full of mercy, with genuineness and sincerity and no partiality or hypocrisy, we learn to own and face our desires together. Like face to face, eyeball to eyeball. We do this in our DNA groups. So we learn to name what we want and, 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 and submit it to Christ and community together. Discern the kingdom in those wants. Hear good news about our desires. And live in surrendered freedom to Jesus as King. We do this in our staff meetings. We do this in our vestry meetings. We're going to have, a, going to have an all-church uh, meeting in, in several weeks, and we're going to do that there. It's how we, as a rhythm of life, learn to make peace. Peace doesn't start with somebody else. Peace starts with me and my desire. That's what James says. <laughs> learn to make peace and sow seeds of justice by peaceful acts. So it starts with us as we continually confess and own how divisive and wicked and selfish and jealous we are and submit that to God by naming that to each other. And, and I get this. Listen, th this is not lost on me, right? I, I have a title here. I wear a collar here that this cannot be something that the leader demands the leader has to demonstrate it. And this is, this is what James has to say. This is what really wisdom is, the gentleness and meekness of living a virtuous life by resisting the devil, purifying your hearts, and washing your hands. So I'm kind of throwing down the gauntlet here. <laughs> this is the person I long to be, and it's the only way to lead a church. This is who we're called to be together. And it doesn't happen by me threatening you or bribing you or convincing you, but simply by living that way. And hopefully, imperfectly, we come to see that's the best way to live. Jesus invites us into the hard work of making peace. We make peace in these polarizing times by telling the truth about injustice, by owning our desires together and submitting them to Christ. This is how we resist the devil. This is how we make peace together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.